Episode 93 of the Sleeper in the Bus podcast. I'm your host, Jason Collette, joined once again by Eno Saris. Good afternoon, buddy. Uh, I'm doing good. How about yourself? Oh, not bad. Not bad. Wife's coming home from her uh, four-day weekend for her birthday. So I'm stoked because uh, I, I'm failing miserably at being Mr. Mom. Oh, no. Miserably. <laughs> <laughs> well. At least you sound much more alive than you did before. Yes, the drugs have finally kicked in. Yeah, uh, today was my last day of antibiotics, so I am looking forward to drinking beer tomorrow. Uh, that was the one restriction I was under, so I get to have my first beer in roughly two weeks tomorrow, and I'm pretty psyched. I need to make it a special occasion, so I have to go find a good one. Yeah. All right, well, you you got some good ones there. Yeah, we have a few here. So uh, without haste, let's get into the... Talk, and let's start with the Orioles. And I think the question on everybody's mind with the Orioles is, can Chris Davis repeat or come close to repeating what he did in 2013? Surprised a lot of people last year. Uh, it, when you look at the mock drafts, people are in full, they, they fully believe Chris Davis would do well. Maybe it's, in, maybe it's because power is uh, in a decline a bit here across the league because Chris Davis's ADP is seven. He's been drafted as high as four. No lower than 14. If you were taking Chris Davis, where would you take him? I think, uh, I mean, I, I think the, the end of the first round is is getting a little bit weak. Um, and so I, I, I still like him there. Um, and uh, would I, who would I take him over? Um, I'd probably take him over to Lewitsky. Um, I'd definitely take him over any other first baseman. Um, I think I take him over any middle infielder, uh, other than can, I think he's, I think he's right around Cano, um, after, after McCutcheon. So, because he just doesn't have the five category goodness, uh, of a McCutcheon. And I just think that the, the batting average is going to, to roll back a little bit. He still struck out a ton. And, um, you know, I think that they're, they'll, Hitters, uh, pitchers will find a way to exploit him in a, in a way that they haven't before. I mean, he still has holes in his swing, obviously. He strikes out 30% of the time. Yes. You know, when I look at him, and I watched him a lot, obviously, because he was the AL East last year, what I like about him is he has ridiculous plate coverage. You can pitch him off the plate, three inches off the plate, he'll still hit that pitch for a home run because he's got that much raw power. Uh, if you think back to that opening weekend against Tampa Bay, I remember a particular pitch, Hellickson threw him. It was a good two baseballs off the plate, and he still hit the thing 350 feet the other way for a home run. But it, there was definitely a, a tale of two seasons last year. In the first half, at 315 with 11.09 uh, OPS, struck out 28% of the time, walked 10% of the time. Second half, hit 245 with an 854 OPS, 32% strikeout rate, and 12% walk rate. If you were to ask people before the season started, that second half slash line was probably what they had Chris Davis projected at. He ended up hitting 16 of his 53 home runs there in the second half. But that first half kind of threw everybody's numbers as he was you know, having a, a Babe Ruthian season there for a while. So I can see the reservation. I don't see how Chris Davis slides out of the first round simply because I think his power floor for 2014 is, you know, I'd say his floor is like 36 home runs. That's a decline from last year, obviously, but I still think that's a that's a high floor when you talk about the power across the league. It's down. We've talked about it as it continues to trend downward, so that's where his value is. But I can see why there is some risk because that second half looks a lot like Chris Davis in the previous seasons. Yeah, I mean, uh, 36 homers, it's, it's a little bit weird for, for people who've been playing for a long time. Um, you know, 36 homers at some point was uh, not as exciting as it is today. I mean, the you know, the, I've done um, some looking at what you kind of need to expect out of your different roster slots mm -hmm. in, in Roto these days. And for mixed leagues, you need 18 homers and six stolen bases uh, on average out of your roster slots. Um, and I think that makes an average, an average team, but still, that's a really low number. People... Basically, if you're above 18, you're, you're getting uh, more power than you need um, from that slot. So 
to get twice as many from a guy. Also, another way to put it is this. Uh, there are only two people projected to have more than 36 homers next year. It's Chris Davis and Miguel Cabrera. So um, power is down across the league, and and to, to even project into 36 is a big deal. 53, I, I put it like this. If, if a pitcher last year threw to a, like a 190 ERA, even if he threw 150 innings or whatever, you'd say, well, that was great, but I'm not going to assume he's going to pitch to 190 ERA this year. Right. Chris Davis had a great year, hit 53 homers. He can have a great year next year and hit 38 homers. I'm currently an NFBC mock draft. I took Chris Davis eighth in that draft. That's the the spot that I'm picking and follow that up on the flip side with, with Freddie Freeman. So I've got my corners locked up, first base and corner infield locked up there. And that's how that flip. But to speak to the point about the lack of power in the league, at the start of this, uh, you know, year 2000, there were 44 players that hit 30 or more home runs that season. Guess how many did it last year? Two? Thirteen. <laughs> Pedro Alvarez, Adrian Beltre, Jay Bruce, Miguel Cabrera, Chris Davis, Adam Dunn, Encarnacion, Goldschmidt, Adam Jones, Longoria, Brandon Moss, David Ortiz, and Mark Trumbo. Those are your 13. That 13 is the lowest in a non-strike-shortened season since 1986. That's where. Well, that's, amazing, that's how man. it's fallen off. Well, that's amazing that we don't have anybody projected for 40 home runs next year. That's what the league's. That's just where the league's going. I mean, I, I could see. I have a tough time thinking Chris Davis won't hit 40 home runs. I, I would say the odds of him, if you set over under 40 on him, I, I'm taking the over. But I could see right. where it could come under. But I'm, I'm taking the over on 40 home runs from him. So you said 13 people hit more than 40 last Thir- year. I'm sorry, more than uh, 30. Oh, okay. That's where I was. That's sorry about I, that. I was like two, thirteen. How many hit more yeah. than forty? Uh, I could look. I want to say just two. I mean, Davis did it, and well, anyway, we've got... yeah, Miguel Cabrera and Chris Davis. That was it. Okay. All right. So we've got we've got uh, let's say the top five by projections by Steamer for home runs: Miguel Cabrera, Chris Davis. Giancarlo Stanton, Jose Bautista, and Encarnacion. That's that sounds about right. Goldschmidt's uh, six with thirty-two. I think uh, you know. I, honestly, I think Trumbull belongs on that list more than I think Bautista does. That's just me. That's funny. Uh, Trumbull is projected for twenty-seven, and he's going to that uh, that park. Uh, all right. Well, just throw Trumbull in there. Uh, uh, do your top three home run guys. Uh. Davis, Cabrera, and uh, Trumbo. That's interesting. I might, uh, I might take Goldschmidt. I just like him as a hitter a little bit more than Trumbo in terms of patience. He's got the same home park. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a little bit younger. Uh, some of our research has shown that. It's interesting that neither of us picked Stanton. Yeah, I, I don't know what to do with him. The, the raw powers are obviously, but I don't believe in lineup protection. But at the same time, there's there's absolutely no reason to pitch to him. None. There's no reason to throw him anything near the plate. Yeah, that's true. None. Uh, let's move over to second base with Baltimore. And the, the Brian Roberts experience is finally over in Baltimore. They have waited and waited and waited for him to get healthy. Now he's the Yankees problem. But they have a, a rather – Serious lack of, in a, rather, a lack of experience at that position. Ryan Flaherty, Jonathan so, uh, Scope, and Alexi Casilla. That's that's their depth chart at second base. Casilla has bounced around, has been, you know, has barely been able to hang on a roster. Uh, Scope is extremely talented. Uh, I like what I've seen from him uh, it, when I've seen him live and, and on game film. Flaherty hit and miss. I, there's some sleeper AL only potential. I don't think any of these guys are draftable in a mixed league, so that we're focused on AL only here. But if you were to pick one of those three guys in a 12-team AL league, which one would you take? Uh. It's not easy for me. I, I I would say definitely not Ryan Flaherty, not for the year. Um, you know, there's some possibility that as a lefty, his uh, his splits against righties make him okay. But I just I see very little above average across the board. I mean, when I look at the when I look at him across the board, I see a worse than average walk rate, not necessarily going to get better. A worse than average strikeout rate, not necessarily going to get better. 
uh, a slightly better than average uh, power rate, no speed. So basically, you're hanging it all on something that could regress to a league average power. So if you've got league average power and league and nothing else is league average, I think you're out of a job pretty soon. Um, so I, I don't really see a lot to to get involved with that. Flaherty. So what's what's left is that you got Jamil. That's Weeks. what I was gonna say. I neglected to mention Weeks. Yeah, Weeks. I think it's probably Weeks versus Scope. Um, and uh, you know, Weeks has the advantage that he's sort of closer to his peak. He's 27. Uh, that's a sort of traditional peak. Um, and he could uh, give you an above average, a better than average strikeout rate, a better than average walk rate, and better than average speed. And um, I'd say better than average defense. Uh, it's a little bit more of an eye test thing. Um, you know, his his actual ratings haven't been so great. Um, so I, I think that that puts him in the driver's seat in terms of being closer to his peak. Uh, I think Scope probably has uh, options, or, or, or oh, yeah, yeah. He, he can he can be sent down another year. Um, it's not like he doesn't have any refinement left in his game. Although I do, I would like to mention that. Um, uh, Amanda Rykoff, not that she's a scout, but uh, I still love her anyway. Uh, she was down in um, in uh, um, yeah, and she saw him play, and she thought he just looked super powerful and uh, and lithe and athletic. And um, I think that's some of the stuff that people like about him is that he looks like he can show a good contact rate, show good power, show good speed, and be a kind of high average. Um, you know, medium power, medium stone base guy, kind of like maybe a profile level guy. He was on the same team, uh, was he? Uh, in the in the in the. I believe so. The- I believe both- so. I mean, my note, my thing with Weeks, what I like about him is going to Buck Showalter. Buck Showalter showed last year with Nate McClouth, if you get on base, he'll let you run. And Weeks still has the speed. You know, he stole 38 bases over 2011 and 2012 in Oakland. He did have full-time playing time in 2012. Last year was just a disaster for him. But if he can get on base, let's just say he's going to hit in the bottom of the lineup. I do not see how he's going to hit anywhere near the top. But he's going to hit down the bottom of the lineup. And I think if he gets on base, Buck Schulwolter, let him go. If I'm looking for a sleeper speed source in the American League, a guy that I can get for just a couple of bucks that could potentially steal me 15 bags, I think Weeks is going to be near the top of that list. I really think he could win that job. Um, Just the way that they they traded for him. Um, I know that... You know, Scope got some time with him last year, but really, he got 15 plate appearances. Uh, and his performance in AAA wasn't demanding. You know, it wasn't like, hey, it was a 256, 301, 396. That says to me, hey, I could actually use maybe a little more time in the minors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, and they, you know, actually last year in, in 2013, he saw... Um, he saw time at every at a rookie ball, high, low A, triple A. So he was all over the place. I think, I think they're still excited about him. But I think the Johnson for weeks thing was, hey, maybe we get a little bit more present value at second base um, for our for our reliever, and uh, let's see if Weeks can help this year. And I just can't imagine that if Weeks is hitting like 280 and has stolen five bases um, in spring training, and Ryan Flaherty is hitting 220 and has hit a home run that, and those are the things, those are not weird things. Those would be like a, a normal week and a half in the lives of those two players. Sure. It would be much more likely to be like, Hey, let's give the guy who can make a little contact and steal a couple bases. It's, we have power in this lineup. You know, we, we, you know, we could use a little bit more at the top of the lineup, I think. So I think weeks fits their needs and they can uh, give scope more time. And if Weeks sucks through the year, then they get rid of him. But, uh, I think I think that they're going to give him a chance. I I, I do actually uh, I'm actually a little bit excited about it. I hope so. I mean, he's a nice guy when you look at a guy who who has was been labeled a bust. I think there's a nice some nice profit there in, in AL only format. Let's look, move out to the outfield. I don't think we need to say anything about Adam Jones or Nick Markakis. Those jobs are secure. We know Jones is a a fantasy stud being taken in the first round. No problem with that. Markakis is in decline, but left field is a really weird situation. We have Nolan Reimold, again, seems like he's been here for 10 years, but has played 20 games in 10 years. 
They just traded for David Lowe, who's going to be the best defensive guy in that in that picture. And you have Henry Arudia and Francisco Peguero. You've got all of those pieces in left field. Like second base, if you would make a stab, if you could roster one of those guys, which one do you want? I think it's almost hilarious how wrong my instincts are when it comes to pronouncing names. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, we had a I comment about sure that on right. iTunes, by the way. <laughs> Already? Yes. Oh my God. Uh, I thought it was Loft. Anyway, uh, Lowe. Uh, David Lowe. Let's see. David Lowe, um, I think if I had to suss it all out with left field and, and DH, I think it's Lowe and Pierce in a timeshare. Pierce gets lefties. Lowe gets righties. So Lowe gets two-thirds. Uh, and DH is Uratia's unless Reimold shows he's healthy. Uh, which is a, about the biggest if there is. So um, if I had to roster one of all those guys, I think it might actually, and this is a little bit weird, I think it might be Uratia. Um, he's he's kind of a strange guy because, and I probably got that name wrong. Yes, Urudia. There we go, Urudia. I, I, I got a problem with, like, the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Uh, <laughs> Somebody's going to think you were serious about that, but... <laughs> Emphasis. Oh <laughs> uh, so uh, I think uh, Uratia. What I what I don't like about him is he's one of the older um, Cuban guys. Yeah. He doesn't have the upside of the younger guys. Uh, he didn't really show the power of like an Abreu or anything. Uh, he doesn't have the athleticism of Puig. Those are the things I don't like. What I do like is that he makes a lot of contact. Um, that he does. And I believe in his contact ability. I don't necessarily believe he's going to walk a lot, but. I think a guy that can make contact, and I think he knew even better than he did last year, if he can make contact and show league average power, both things that I think are believable, he could really be like a 280 hitter, 15 to 20 homers. Uh, that's the kind of guy, I, I think that the lineup can use that. Um, there's, there's a decent amount of swing and miss in that lineup. And I, I know there's Marcakis, but um, you know Davis and Hardy are, are kind of middle lineup guys. They could use a guy in the fifth, sixth slot to, to drive in a lot of runs. Um, and Reimold is more Davis type. If, if Reimold hits, he might have the best upside of all of them. And I, and I, I'm so sad to say that now because uh, I've loved him for so long. And, yeah, okay. <laughs> hey, just let him DH. I mean, let's not. The only thing that concerns me about with Urudia is at the upper levels, he had 180 plate appearances between AAA and the major leagues last year. And had all of eight extra, uh, nine extra base hits. Sorry, nine extra base hits and 180 plate appearances. That's a little empty. Let's yeah. not forget, uh, as far as a non-roster invitee situation, Quentin Berry's in this puzzle. So is Delman Young. So those two guys are in play here. If if the Orioles don't make another signing, and it doesn't seem like they're going to, they've been extremely frugal this offseason. Really haven't done much at all. Uh, it, to me, this is a perfect fit for Kendris Morales. It just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. So if it doesn't, left field, whoever's not going to play left field is going to end up playing DH, and Stephen Pierce is going to be in that fold who hits uh, left-handed pitching rather well. You've got Reimold. You've got a lot of names in play here. I think all of them are AL endgame, all of them, and I'm not paying more than, you know, if it gets to $5, if somebody else says 5 I'm out. I'm not paying any more than $5 for anybody in that equation. Yeah, I'm uh, trying to get over to my uh, spreadsheet for uh, just AL only here. Give me, give me, give me. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. It's not a pretty situation. Oh. Um, let's... Got, at Uratia, I've got uh, at 280 with nine homers, um, I've got them worth, you know, five, six bucks in the outfield. So that's uh, that's something to think about. But, you know, I think you, you have to add in the risk that he doesn't get the job. So, um, but yeah. It's, and he has uh, options. A, I mean, a guy yeah. like Reynolds not going to have options. I believe Steve Pierce is out of options. You know, those types of things. And if you, you've got Barry and you have Young, so if they get, they're going to have one of those deals where they're going to have to be put on the, the active roster within five days of the end of camp. Oh, or they're going to have to pay him a bonus, that kind of thing. So that all of that stuff is in play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and that will help Reimold. Um, you know, but uh, I think Pierce is probably close to out of options too. He was hanging around Pittsburgh for a long time. 
Um, Pierce can hit lefties. It's they've got a lot of ways that can make it work. I actually think that Pierce is probably going to uh, render Delman Young um, uh, useless because Delman Young's best uh, ability is to hit lefties, and Pierce can do that. Is probably cheaper, uh, has options, can be around longer. So I'm not so worried about Delman Young, but the Rymold for Uratia that is worrisome. It's a. I think uh, the Orioles are really. If you have a strong feeling there, there's definitely some opportunity there. Second base, left field, there's some opportunity to be had for a dollar guy in AL only to to really put a lot of value in. And if if I'm putting some money down on anybody, um, I think that Lowe will actually go for a little bit more than a dollar because people are talking about him like a starter. Mm -hmm. Even though he helped my AL labor team last year, and I'm a little bit happy about that, if I'm putting a dollar down on anyone, it's Uratia and Weeks. That's who I want. Fair enough there. Um, let's move over to the mound because there's a lot of questions. Somebody asked about Chris Tillman. We'll talk about him in a second. Uh, in their rotation, Miguel Gonzalez, Chris Tillman, Bud Norris, Wei Ying Chen, and I guess Kevin Gaussman. But that really hasn't been decided You know where they're going to go. It's, again, I have been very pessimistic about what they've done this offseason. I don't like I think this is the last place team in the American League East. It kind of sounds crazy coming what up they did what they did two years ago. I think this is a last place team in the AL East, but that's what their rotation is. But let's look at Tillman. Tillman last year, when you look at what his numbers were able to do, made some growth. It was the fourth straight season that his strikeout percentage had improved. He'd gone from 13% all the way up to 21.2% last year. Walk rates right about league average. The one issue that kind of bit him in the butt is the home runs. He gave up 33 last year. 20 of them came in the first half of the season. But I like the second half. In the second half of the season, 214 batting average against, only gave up 13 home runs. His OPS against was 679. His strikeout rate jumped from 19.0 to 23.9% while he reduced his walk rate a little bit. So he made some nice improvements there in the second half. But I think that home run number is going to be a tough number for people to overlook. How are you with Chris Tillman? I I, uh, I have a hard time with him. I just don't. I don't see when I look at his pitch peripherals like I always do, I don't see a single, there's not a single off speed pitch that uh, has average whips. Um, and what's weird is that his four seam, despite being, you know, a 91, 92 mile an hour pitch um, has basically uh, when you, when you uh, grade it against other four seamers has the best whiff rate of his pitches. So he gets, 11% whiffs on the four seam. The average four seam is around 7%. So um, that's, for some reason, this four seam is the best pitch. And it does have great movement. It has 10 inches of drop. So the four seam has uh, more movement than your normal four seam. His changeup, um, below average pitch. His curve is very beautiful looking. I wrote a piece once about how I felt better about my life choices by watching uh, Chris Tillman's curve. It's pretty. Uh, it's a big old, it's a big old, you know, uh, hook. It's a, a yacker, but it's uh, it's got terrible a terrible whiff rate. And I'm sure if um, let me if I can even do this here, um, sabermetric outcomes. Yeah, it's got a decent uh, uh, whiff rate once they swing. They just people don't swing at it very much. Uh, yeah, his swing rate on the curve is 28 percent. Average is around 30 percent. 38 35% something like that. So basically they see that big old thing coming and they don't swing at it. And uh, I think what he can do other than that is make you think a curve is coming with a high four seam um and then the four seam drops and change your eye levels. Yeah, change your eye levels. Uh he's got obviously some ability here, but I don't see like a true out pitch. I don't really consider a good above average four seam and out pitch. Uh, that's more of like your bread and butter. And then I want to see an off speed pitch. That's an out pitch. And I just don't see that with him. Um, you know, if the curve, if you see the curve coming, you don't swing at it. It drops out of the bottom of the zone. It's a fault. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 20 of those 33 home runs last year came off the fastball, another eight off hanging changeup. So 28 of his 33 came off those two pitches. And the change is no good. I mean, the change is not really good. It's a, it's a below average whiff rate, below average uh, grounder rate. And that's the kind of thing that you normally look for. If you have a four seam and a curve, what about your change? The change is no good. 
Uh, and the curve does get a lot of grounders. You can use it for grounders. It's a very good pitch for grounders. Um, and that's probably because it has a lot of big vertical drop and, and they hit it into the ground. Um, I just, I think he's kind of, you know, forcing curve. You know, Tommy Hunter used to be that. Yes. Tommy was an like a, a mediocre fastball, big old curveball, and was a mediocre starter. And he did that for a long time until he went to the bullpen and, and threw 96. And, and now we're talking about him in different ways. Um, I kind of see Tillman as, as the new Tommy Hunter. And I don't think that um, is, a, is a nice way to describe him. So I don't, I'm just not that excited about him. I, I don't think he's a, a mixed leaguer. And what I'm wondering is if, if any of these starters are mixed leaders. There's one I like. Um, but uh, is there are there any uh, Orioles starters that you want in a mixed league? Uh, no, not really. Uh, when I look at it with Chris Tillman, when I look at the same kind of things, sorry, lost the lost step for a second there. With uh, I agree with all the points you made about Chris Tillman. I, I'm not thrilled uh, with what I see there. When you look at his ADP, if we play three ahead and three behind. A.J. Griffin, Ubaldo Jimenez, Brandon Beachy, all three ahead of him. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Behind him, Hiroki Kuroda, Tim Lincecum, Matt Garza. I would take it, uh, Kuroda and Garza over Tillman. Yeah, yeah. And Tillman's the 57th-ranked pitcher right there. But, no, I'm not crazy about this pitching staff. I don't like Bud Norris because he, he doesn't have the ability to get out the lefties. So he's got platoon splits. Chen is really good against lefties, has his issues against righties. This whole team is, is a matter of splitsville. They're really good against one side and not good another, and this applies to the bullpen as well. I'm not crazy. You know, maybe Miguel Gonzalez as a late guy, a dollar pick, maybe, and I'm concerned really late. I like what I saw from him at times last year. And for a stretcher, he was really dominant, and then he just fell apart there towards the end. Gaussman has the most talent of all of these guys. It just depends what, what kind of role they're going to give him, but he's got the most upside of all of these guys. I just don't think it's usable upside at the moment. Yeah, and uh, Gossman's my guy. Um, you know, I was looking at uh, this. It's actually really funny. If you look at the depth charts um, on our on Fangraphs, uh, the top five pitchers are all projected into more than a homer per nine. Um, and, you know, some part of that is the park. But I do think that a big part of that is their stuff. And one of the things that you fall into if you have these bad platoon splits is that you give up homers to the wrong to the to the side you can't get out. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that's the big thing about the slider uh, to the opposite hand hitter. It breaks right into their wheelhouse. If you make a little mistake, it's gone. Um, so I think that's that's why Bud Norris has the big one. Wei and Chen has the big uh, home run per nine. Tillman does. And Gossman's the only guy that's – he's at 1.0. Everybody else is 1.2, 1.3. So, um, you know, when I look at Gossman's uh, pitch stuff, what's really interesting to me, he has a changeup and a split finger. That's kind of rare. Yes. Because uh, both of them sort of break uh, – both of them sort of arm side, um, you know, run as opposed to cutting in on the hands. Um And so you want his slider to be better than it is. His slider is, a, is below average. But I have, I don't know if it's an unreasonable belief, but that's the way I want to start. I mean, if I could build a pitcher that had a flaw, um, it would be Gossman. I'd be like, okay, if I had a couple choices I could make, I'd be like, give him velocity, Gossman, 96 mile an hour. Give him a beautiful changeup. You know, Gossman has a, a great changeup, great split finger. Yes. So he has two. And then I'd say, you know what? I think I can teach him a cutter. I think I can teach him a slider. It can't be that hard. Everybody in the history of baseball, it seems like, has thrown a slider. So am I worried, a little bit worried, that his whiff rate on slider was 8% and the average slider is about 16%. So that's that's a below average slider. But am I as worried about that as I would be about other things? No, actually, I think he's got two really good pitches, a really good fastball, and really good control. And he has the pedigree of being a top pick. I absolutely think Gossman is a great uh, mixed league uh, bench play. Um, I'm, I'm going to be him a bunch of times. And the thing that, that makes me think um, good things about it, even if they sign an A.J. Burnett or any of these guys that are still out there, Gossman is the only guy that they have on the roster right now or is a free agent that could be an ace. Yes. I mean, there's no way that Chris Tillman, McGuggins, Gonzalez, these guys, none of these guys have ace upside. None of them have ace upside in them. Gossman's the only one that could be. And I think 
the Orioles, in order to do anything, need Gossman and then later Bundy. They need those guys to be aces. And so they, they will give them any shot they can because it's about finding an ace, and they just haven't found one yet. Yeah, and, you know, Dylan Bundy's obviously derailed for a little bit. They've got Harvey Hunter coming up in the system who's going to be a really nice arm. So they have some future, and I like Gossman for all the reasons that you've stated. Currently 86 in starting pitcher, 328 ADP. It's going just after Ricky Nolasco, Travis Wood, and Tim Hudson. I would take Gaussman over the latter two there. I, I'm one of the few Nolasco fans on the planet, uh, but I, I, at least I can. I know he's going to pitch 180 innings, and Jonathan Neese is going just ahead of him, and Gaussman's going ahead of Dylan G, Wade Miley, Gilles Sachin, Alexi Ogando, Martin Perez. And I'm, I'm fine with that, too, because the upside's intriguing. I just want the Orioles to come out and say, Gaussman's in a rotation, and he's going to pitch, and not jerk him up and down and around. Let him work through it, because, as you said, best talent they have there. Yeah, um, and, uh, you know, I guess the, the, it is a good point to bring up the innings. Um, he might have a bit of a, li- a limit, so if you're head-to-head, uh, you might want to rein yourself in a little bit. But I don't think it's going to be a, a, a huge limit. Um, he basically had about 130 uh, innings last year. I think mostly teams are okay with adding 20%. So um, now you're up to 150, 160. I think, especially if the Orioles are any good, they might do the Danny Salazar treatment where they sort of push it a little bit, and it's 160 plus. But uh, yeah, you can't you can't write them in for 200. They're going to be excited about them long term. They're not going to want to um, to 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 push it too bad. So uh, write them down for 160 innings. I think uh, eight or nine strikeouts for for uh, for nine. Uh, and I think the control, the home runs, all that stuff will get better this year. Agreed. Let's move over to the bullpen. And again, we talked about Splitsville, and, th- and this is what they should rename this bullpen. Darren O'Day, Ryan Webb, Tommy Hunter, Brian Mattis, uh, McFarlane, Stinson, Johnson, Britton. We have a bunch of guys who historically have been really good against one side and not so good against the other side. I think the most important one to talk about here is Tommy Hunter because he's their de facto closer now since they didn't finish the ball for deal, didn't get Rodney done. And we have Tommy Hunter in the closing role. If you think to yourself that, let's say last year, A.J. Griffin you know, led the league in home runs allowed with 36. You think, wow, that's a lofty total. That's how many home runs that Tommy Hunter has allowed the left-handed batters over the past three seasons in fewer plate appearances. Tommy Hunter last year allowed 11 home runs. All of them came against left-handed batters. He was ex- dominant against righties. When you look at his lefty-righty splits, Held righties to a 141 batting average, a 154 slugging average against them in 159 plate appearances, just two extra base hits against righties. Against lefties, 294, slugged 535, allowed 11 home runs, 18 extra base hits. Doesn't get the same kind of swing and miss. This, to me, is a disaster. He's going to open the season, and I'm willing to be able, maybe go five bucks on him. I'll be stunned if he's still in this role by the All-Star break because it, it just unless he comes up with a new pitch this offseason, something else, he has not shown the ability to get lefties out, and I don't like this. I, I, I may even take Ryan Webb over him because Ryan Webb has at least shown an improvement against lefties over the last couple of years. I liked what he did last year with Miami. I don't like this Tommy Hunter thing at all. I, he fell to me in the 22nd round of a mixed mock that I'm doing, and I took him because saves were there, and I needed one more pitcher. I just wasn't excited about it. Uh, I think we might disagree for once. Um, the uh, I do see, when I look at his per-pitch rates, I do see uh, really bad homer rates uh, against lefties. It's true. Um, and that might be fixed or it might not. It might be part of the park or am I not? But what I do see that I like that I'm surprised that I like is that um, his third best pitch against, and you have to remember this was a starter uh, at some point. So he actually throws five pitches um, and against lefties, he throws five pitches against lefties and uh, it's sort of, you know, none of them is elite, but, the nice thing is, even though the curve drops a lot of whiffs, drops a lot of grounders against lefties, is less than effective pitch, and he still throws the second best. That's a problem. 
the cutter who he throws third most is really good actually against lefties. And that makes sense. The cutter uh, acts a little bit like a slider um, and is therefore better against opposite, uh, opposite hand, same handed hitters. Mm -hmm. So basically, um, uh, well, that would make that wouldn't make sense. Well, the cutter you can use on the back door. You'll see a lot of guys use that cutter on the back door to free if they if they well, throw saying, it well to lefties. You throw it to the outer half and it gets that late cut and catches the outer corner, or you throw it to them on the inside and let them saw their handle off. But if they miss that out door, it just slides right over the plate and becomes a home run. Right, right, right. So th- I mean, that might be why the home run rates are are high because his changeup is 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 not so great. I mean, that's 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 still true. But he throws a changeup. It's it's just, it's at least a show me pitch. The four seam against lefties still gets ten percent whiffs, which is really good. And the the cutter against lefties still gets eighteen percent whiffs, which is is really good, or at least above average. So he's got he's got the pitches, even though he loves the curve uh, and it's not as effective against lefties. I think that there could be some um, adjustment, you know, because it was really almost his first year full time in the pen. Maybe he'd done like a year and a half. I mean, he came to the Orioles and kind of went to the pen and was great. And then he had a full year in the pen. So I, I feel like, um, you know, he still thinks of himself as a, as a fastball curveball guy. And in the transition of the pen, maybe he left some of those other pitches go away and then they started to come back slowly. I think uh, is, if he used his curve a little bit less against lefties, he might have a better year. Um, and um, I'm not sure the change is necessarily the answer, but uh, – there's 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 a way out of there's a way out. This is not uh, Bud Norris, and it's funny because one of my things that I thought would be a good idea would be to sign a starting pitcher and put Bud Norris in the pen. Mm-hmm. But Bud Norris, all the things that we're talking about right now, Bud Norris is even worse. I mean, Bud Norris is a fastball slider guy and has terrible splits against the lefties and has had them his whole career. So if we're gonna really say Tommy Hunter can't do it, but Bud Norris can't, that doesn't that doesn't seem intellectually consistent. So. Um, Hunter has five pitches. I am reasonably optimistic about him being the closer. You know, I was not, I, I heard a lot of people express that with, with, uh, with Norris about, you know, maybe his stuff will play up and maybe, maybe he'll throw harder, but I, I just don't see throwing. I, I think Tommy Hunter's a great example of that. Just because you throw harder doesn't mean you're going to get better results. If you can't get lefties out as a starting pitcher, how are you going to get him out as a reliever just because you're throwing harder? I, I I don't buy into that theory. And I got into that discussion with uh, with Mike Farron about it because he, he's a believer that Norris's stuff would play up out of the pen and it would work out. I just when I see Norris, I see Tommy Hunter, and I don't like the situation. I I, I wrote one of my early pieces that I wrote uh, when I came on Fangraphs was about Ryan Webb and the fact that he is really one of the relievers in that bullpen who has shown the ability. He did a lot of this last year in Miami to get both lefties and righties out and keeps the ball down that's a big thing in that ballpark when you look at you know last year they traded for francisco rodriguez francisco rodriguez had a lot of trouble last year against right-handed batters for it just he couldn't get them out he allowed 10 extra base hits and like 50 plate appearances against those guys in that ballpark five home runs three doubles two triples and a lot of it came off the fastball and it's just strange to see a guy allowed that many extra base hits against same-handed batters. And that's because he didn't use his changeup that much. And that changeup's so good, it allows his fastball to look better to opposite-handed batters. And he's becoming increasingly more effective against the lefties. So when you look at – we've already talked about Milwaukee, but you look at Francisco Rodriguez there, I don't think that affects Jim Henderson at all I, because I see uh, Rodriguez becoming more of a specialist. But at the same time, you look at that Baltimore bullpen – when I'm looking at somebody, if if you ask me to speculate in a guy, let's take Hunter out of it. If Hunter fails, who's going to be that guy? I'm going to put my money on Ryan Webb. I mean, he's a big grounder guy. Um, I think, you know, he's underrated. Uh, and I was about to say, they don't normally give the bull, the, the closer uh, spot to a, a ground ball guy, but... Uh, if anybody's going to do it, it might be Baltimore. Yeah, they gave him a two-year deal, too. I mean, they were uh, in talking with uh, somebody who was uh, familiar with the inner discussions of that. They were impressed with what he did last year and how he was able to uh, get better against lefties. That was one of the things that really stood out to them in their analysis of Webb as they were preparing to offer him a deal was this guy is no longer a rookie. Uh, this is something he's, he's shown some effectiveness to be at least league average against the other hand. You just don't – you don't want too many drastic splits, but that was one of the things that attracted them to Ryan Webb. 
Yeah. Any final thoughts on the Orioles? No, it's a weird team. I mean, uh, they obviously have a lot of good, nice pieces in there. And a lot of times I, I want to laud a team for, for waiting um, waiting and not necessarily spending a lot and and uh, and just paying attention to what they have on their team and, and uh, you know, reining it in a little bit. But I really think that of all the teams, they could have uh, benefited from a little spending. Especially within the division. I just, this is a really strange offseason for them. I had the whole Grant Balfour thing aside. Uh, just not thrilled with the way this played out. Let's go all the way across the coast and talk about the Padres. And they've got a lot of fantasy relevance here when you look across um, the roster. Let's start with shortstop because in, in a day and age where stolen bases are becoming more and more precious, we have Everett Cabrera coming back off this PED suspension. Everett Cabrera, uh, has shown the ability to steal bases. Obviously, that's not a problem. We knew he was an empty bat. He was a, a former Rule 5 pick, was forced to stay up on the Major League roster that one year, uh, kind of slowed his development up, came back around, wasn't as empty a bat as he had been in the past. Last year, the, the offensive numbers were at a career high. 283 batting average was strong for him. Really cut down his strikeout rate. That's what really stood out with him. His strikeout rate had historically been in the mid-20s, got down to 16% last year while still maintaining the ability to walk. It was 37 of 49 on the bases. We're talking about a guy that's 81 for his last 97 in stolen base attempts. What are your thoughts on Edward Cabrera? Yeah, it's, he's definitely a poster child for the idea that steroids uh, don't necessarily always have to do with power. So um, if I could bet on anything, if he does quit doing whatever he uh, did to get himself in trouble, I think the strikeout rate will go back up um, and the batting average will go back down. And he'll be more like a 250 hitter uh, with 35 stolen bases. That does take a lot of his value out, and it, I think it, it makes him a possible uh bust in terms of just how much people are spending on him so if you can get him uh cheap because everyone else thinks he'll be terrible after steroids or something then i i might do it but if he's uh if he's going like a 275 like 50 stolen base guy then uh, i'm out He's currently ADP of 83. He's the seventh shortstop off the board with uh ramirez tulo segura reyes desmond and andrus ahead of him castro hardy and simmons immediately behind him I'm fine with that, but there is some volatility. He's gone as high as 54 in a draft and as low as 109. So, I, uh, again, with the speed, I'm, I'm a fan of that. I'd rather take Andrus first because I think Andrus has, a, especially when you look at where he's going to hit in that lineup, in that Texas lineup, has a chance to score a lot of runs. So I'm comfortable with where Cabrera is being taken. And if I were picking, any, I, I have the labor draft tonight. And if we're in that spot and Cabrera is still around, I wouldn't mind having him on my roster. Yeah, that's true. Uh, moving over, we've got uh, on the other side his double play partner Jed Jerko uh, surprised a lot of people with what he did last year. He had he was always known as a bat first type of guy, even coming out of the draft when he was coming out of the University of West Virginia, and really surprised a lot of people with the power that he was able to display. He earned that starting role last year as Logan Forsythe was struggling with plantar fasciitis during spring training. Jerko just kept hitting and hitting and hitting in the Cactus League, and I know we're taught to hey, let's ignore let's ignore these kind of numbers and it, because the Cactus League can just inflate things. But in that ballpark, yeah, he had a, a 249 average. Yes, he struggled to get on base, but he had 49 extra base hits, including 23 home runs at, out of that position. A Dan Ugla light, if you will, without the walk rate. Where are you looking at Jed Jerko for 2014? Uh, I think, uh, I've seen enough of his swing. It's like a crazy little violent swing. Um, I'm not sure how much better his strikeout rate's going to get. So I, I don't know how much to, uh, credit to give him in the batting average department, but you know, a little bit more batting average on balls and play love could get him up over 260. Um, he probably has a tiny bit more power upside. I mean, he's uh pre peak with returns to power because he's, um, you know, just turning 25 this year, so uh, or he just turned 25. So I, I think there's a little bit more there. I'm a little disappointed that he quit stealing bases. I just don't think that's coming. So 260, 25 homers, it, it does actually uh, feel very Dan Ugly-like. It's just um, I'm not sure it's going to have the on-base percentage for the on-base percentage guys. Yeah, it is a bit tough. When you look at his on his ADP, he's currently ninth 
uh, off the board of second base at a, at 102. He is just behind Ben Jarvis is 78, Jose Altuve at 91, Brandon Phillips at 100. I'm fine with him being behind that. He is two pick or one pick ahead of Daniel Murphy. That's just at one pick, but I'd rather have Murphy. He is seven picks ahead of Aaron Hill. I'd rather have Aaron Hill. He is 36 picks ahead of Chase Utley. And I'm still willing to take that chance on Chase Utley being more productive in less playing time than Jerko. Because the more playing time Jerko gets, he may help you in the counting categories. But if he puts up another 245, 250 batting average, that's going to drag you down. Utley, we know, is going to hit for average. And he'll hit for power. He'll still throw in some stolen bases, even at his age, even if he only gets 450 plate appearances. Mm. I have to chew that one up and spit it out a little bit more. I, I'm a little bit, I think, more worried about Utley than you are in terms of the fact that um, his knee injuries are degenerative, and so they might only get worse. Um, so there might be a, a real significant uh, uh, chunk of, of missing playing time. But um, I definitely, I definitely, uh, your point is well received. I, I hadn't thought about it that way, but uh, it's interesting. I also just traded for him in my local league. I had a bunch of – I couldn't keep everybody, so I was able to make one of those infamous offseason dump deals where you've got a lot of guys. You can only keep one or two of them. I traded for Utley. I'm willing to bank on it and see what happens. I'm counting anything over 450 plate appearances as gravy. That's what I have him. That's where I'm looking at him at. Let's shift over to first base. Yonder Alonso, 20 home runs for his entire major league career. We're talking 1,121 plate appearances, 20 home runs. His hits for a good average, 280 career hitter, 350 on base percentage, but the extra base power just isn't there, right? Even in the ballpark, is this, I mean, people want to say James Loney part, uh, 2.0, but James Loney even hit for more power than this at this point. Where do you sit with it? Is Alonso even a mixed league option at this point? Well, I'm going to take the over on his projected uh, batting average. I've got him down for 270 and 12 with Steamer. Um, and I just don't see why that would be. I guess um, they're projecting him into a low um, uh, power, you know, low isolated slugging percentage and a little bit worse um, uh, contact rate. But I, I believe in his ability to make contact. I think he's a, a definitely an on-base percentage league um, bonus. I think he's one of these guys, uh, a little bit like a Hosmer, where he'll give you some um, stolen bases and uh, – and find a lot of little sneaky ways to give you um, to give you uh, value. In fact, uh, if you put his numbers up against Brandon Belts, uh, just with like a little bit more love, um, let's say let's say I'm being let's say I'll, I'll take the fans um, number right now, which and fans are sometimes they're about ten percent over sometimes, but let's be ten percent happy about Yonder Alonso, okay? Okay. Two nine one average, fourteen homers, five stolen bases. That sounds a lot like Brandon Bell. Um, that would be and, quite. That would be quite an accomplishment. You look at their ADP. Brandon Belt one thirty seven. Yonder Alonso three hundred. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. I think there's like a little bit of uh, a, an opportunity for utility, especially NL only. But I think even in mixed leagues, Yonder Alonso is not completely irrelevant. And definitely, if you're in an on base percentage league, Yonder Alonso, um, I think is a good utility slot thing, especially when you factor in his cost and think about that. You know, health, I don't think that we can hang uh, bad health on him yet. So I think uh, it's reasonable to give him close to 600 plate appearances. And with that, give him double-digit homers, five to seven stolen bases. I think a plus batting average. Uh, and that's the kind of thing that can definitely play in utility slot. Let's jump out to the outfield. And this, to me, is a gigantic mess. Carlos Quinton, Chris Denorfia, Seth Smith, Kyle Blanks, Cameron Maben, Alexi Marista, Will Venable. Seven names for three spots. This, you're trying to, if, if I'm an NL only league, this would drive me crazy. I see a lot of platoons here. We know Carlos Quinton uh, cannot stay healthy. He's going to miss some time. You know, a Seth Smith, Chris Denorfia platoon would be fantastic. Smith rakes righties, Denorfia rakes lefties. Where do you play Kyle Blanks, Venable? I, this is a nightmare. I don't know how to project this. My goal, if I were in an NL only league, I would want to avoid having to having to go here and trying to find a starter because I think Cameron Maven may be the only guy that gets 500 plate appearances this year, and that's assuming he stays healthy. Uh, you know, in real life, there's 
there's some things I like about it in that they have all these um, interchangeable pieces and they they have the uh, they, the ability kind of like the the uh, the A's to 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 use depth to their advantage. Um, you know, Hunley is not a terrible backup catcher, and Grandal is is you know when he's healthy and off suspension is is, is you know has great upside. Yonder Alonso. Um, I think has more upside than some of the projections. Cobb Lang's not a terrible uh, backup. So, you know, everywhere you look, they've got, you know, maybe shortstop with Amarista, that's a little bit of an issue. But um, everywhere they've got a guy who can slide in or platoon with the guy or help him out. And I think um, I think that's probably by design. And I think that's an interesting way to build a team with, when you don't have much money. Um, and I actually... I think that this rotation, that there's a lot of upside in that rotation. I think Kennedy is going to finally get um, the sort of homer suppression he needs. Um, Kashner, you know, I think he's got real upside. So I think in real life this team could do well. Uh, it is, uh, you know, on the hitting side at least, it's a tough one to find mixed league value. You're looking at some utility bats, mm-hmm. some second catchers, um, you know, one good shortstop. The third baseman, um, if he got traded out of there, would be better. Um, so uh, I do think that there are a couple values we have, but um, it's not not uh, not where you really want to be looking for your offense. Yeah, I, I agree with you. What you were, you touched on the pitching there. I really like this starting pitching rotation, and this is assuming health. I've always been a big Josh Johnson fan. I'd like to see. I thought it was a nice signing by them. I'd like to see him bounce back. I had high expectations for him last year, and he helped torch my my tout worst team along with Montero and, and Pujols and Hamilton. But I, I like him. I like what Andrew Castro did last year. Tyson Ross, I always thought that delivery was just painful to look at. The way when he pitched for Oakland, I would see him come in. I'm like, oh, my God, how can you pitch like that? But Tyson Ross was a boss last year. You looked at how, you know, what he was able to do there, took a, took advantage of the opportunity, strikeout rate jumped to 24%, got his walk rate down to a, to a career best, held batters to a 225 batting average, used that ballpark to hold them to a 326 slugging percentage, only allowed eight home runs last year, made some nice strides with him. Tyson Ross was a guy that was pretty much barely NL-only material. Now all of a sudden – you know, he, despite people might look at and say, oh, God, he was only 3-8 and eight last year. But ERA 317, 115 whip. We talked about the skills. Now, I could make a case for and Ian Kennedy. I could make a case for a lot of these guys, at least four of their pitchers, being mixed league material in a draft. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I really like uh, – I pretty much like everybody but Stoltz. Um, I think Ian Kennedy is going to finally get the, the homer suppression – out of a full year, Andrew Kashner uh, ditched the the crappy slider that he was throwing uh, for a knuckle slider, and everything changed. Um, Josh Johnson is an end game pick just for the the, uh, the 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 numbers in his past. Uh, and actually, and I was I was thinking I was going to be negative about Tyson Ross when you were talking all positive about him, but uh, you know, there's one thing that's really nice for Tyson Ross is he's a fastball slider guy, which is something we make fun of all the time, and we say, oh, he needs a changeup, blah blah blah. But if you're going to be anywhere and have that problem, it's probably San Diego. Um, if you think about it, uh, if, if a righty throws a, um, uh, a slider to a lefty, um, that's when they, they have the, the, um, the homer issues. Mm-hmm. But in San Diego, lefty power is suppressed more than any other park. So basically, um, if you take homers by lefties down by 50%, then you're 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 basically taking away the biggest flaw that he's got. So uh, in any case, you, you've got is uh, what you've got is a, a park that really fits his flaws. <laughs> it, you know, not necessarily playing to his strength, it fits his flaws. And um, so I think Ross, even Ross, has the ability to be a, a sort of uh, a fifth starter, fourth starter, fantasy fourth starter. And I think inevitably Stoltz will be out of the rotation at some point. And then you've got guys like Robbie Erlin, Birch Smith, and Casey Kelly. I love Birch Smith. I think uh, Birch Smith has a great changeup, which I love. Um, he's he's always thrown he's always throwing strikeouts. He's got a little bit of gas. He's probably first in line just because Erlin has struggled a little bit, and Casey Kelly's coming off injuries. So, you know, Birch Smith over Eric Stoltz, I love it. 
Yeah, I, I would like to see that happen, but I, I see a lot of profit in that Padres rotation because you look at numbers last year, but I, I think the Padres, like, as you said, are going to be a, a very competitive, real baseball team, and I think that's going to put some hidden profit in their pitchers because the wins should be that they struggled to get last year. Are, this should be there this year, and I think the bullpen, I like how they rounded out their bullpen in this offseason, getting Alex Torres in the trade from Tampa Bay, and I love the Joaquin Benoit signing. That guy has been fantastic out of the bullpen since coming back from his surgery when he left the Rangers, went to the Rays, was fantastic with them, was great with Detroit in his three years, took the opportunity last year that Jose Valverde afforded him, took advantage of it, got a nice deal with the Padres. If you're a Houston street owner, I guess you have to be, you should be a little nervous because Benoit wins the skills battle. You look at 2013, he wins the skill battle hands down. He also wins the health battle. You do a three-year view of them, and it's it's more even. But Houston Street, we know it's not a matter of if. It's when he's going to hit the DL because he always does. And I'd, I'd be afraid if I were in a keeper league and have Street as a keeper. If he hits the DL, he may not get his job by the time he comes back. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm in a, I've got Street in a, in a dynasty league, and I'm, I'm trying to trade him, actually. And I, I really hope that uh, – uh, the person I'm trying to trade him with is not listening to this. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, we have Houston Street projected in 65 innings. Um, I think that's very optimistic. Um, and some of the stuff you were talking about, just he's just like a lock to be on the DL for two to four weeks. Um, you know, Benoit, is, he's healthy now, but he, at some point he wasn't healthy. So, um, I think, um, you know, Alex Torres... You might know a little bit more than I do, but I know that he has got a great changeup. Uh, there was some thought about the, the rotation, but they're, they're kind of stacked there. I think Alex Torres, he won't have a platoon split since um, he has a changeup. And uh, he might be kind of like a long-term um, plan for, for, for closer. Um, I mean, so- with him, he, he's, he's small. I mean, he's 5'10 in cleats. That's the thing with him. And they've said they don't know if he's going to be a starter or a reliever for them. Yeah, He had that ridiculous strain rate, you know, 80.2% last year. And it was something like 98% early on in the season. We talked about that a while ago with Houston Street. But when you look at Torres, last year's numbers were just crazy in the past. It, 12 months ago, they weren't sure he was going to stay within the organization. He was a guy that was struggling to command his fastball, had always had high strikeout rates, but always had high walk rates because his stuff has a lot of natural movement. His changeup has got a lot of fade to it. His two-seam fastball has a lot of run to it. So he would have trouble locating that. Went down to the lower levels, all the way down the rookie ball, did some work with Marty Demerit, did some work uh, with Neil Allen, got on his stuff, and, and was fantastic last year. Early on, started the normalized bit late. I don't know if he could be a closer. I, it, the velocity just isn't there. There's a lot of run. I see a lot of J.P. Howell in him, so I think he could fill that kind of role as J.P. Howell has for the Dodgers over the last couple of years. I just don't think he's a starter. Uh, he may be able to close in spots, but I think there's a short burn rate to him. Well, that, that's good to know, but um, you know, one of the things that they're they're always willing to do in San Diego is uh, turn and burn, so uh, if they can make Torres the closer and then uh, and trade him to somebody, uh, they've shown in the past they're willing to trade a reliever at the drop of a, of a dime. So yeah, they have turned um, and burned relievers like no other team. Yeah, so maybe Torres is next. Um, there's also something to be said for this idea that maybe uh, teams keep their uh, their cheap young pit relievers cheaper by not giving them save opportunities and giving them to uh, cost certain guys like Joaquin Benoit. So uh, who knows what they do there. I just think that those are the relevant names. I know that Dale Thayer uh, had a good year last year, but uh, to me it's Torres, Benoit Street. And uh, if you want to be sneaky and, and avoid Street and take Benoit in your final rounds in a mixed league, I think that's the way to go. Yeah, if I'm, I in a mixed league, I usually like to drive two closers and then take a third guy that may jump into that role. Benoit's got to be right there at the front of that list because the skills are are definitely deserving of the role. He proved it last year, and Houston Street, to me, if the Padres aren't in contention, will be gone in a heartbeat. Uh, if they are in contention, I think they could be in that division. We'll see how it plays out, but again, skills went out, and I think in this case, Benoit's going to end up with more saves than Houston Street will for the Padres in 2014. 
that's uh that's a defensible stance for sure. All righty. Any final thoughts about the Padres? Nope. Uh, thanks for making time in your day to listen to us. And uh, and uh, as always, feel free to mock me for my pronunciation on iTunes. <laughs> uh, but thanks for your rating and support. We're up in the top 10 uh, for the Professional Sports Podcast, which is pretty awesome. Uh, Thursday, we will record the Keystone Podcast as we talk about the Phillies and the Pirates. Uh, maybe one of those team, uh, teams will land A.J. Burnett by then, so we can have something to discuss uh, with them. Burnett's still talking about signing. He wants to stay near home because his wife doesn't fly on airplanes, and those two teams are very close to where he lives. So maybe one of those two will sign him because he does want to stay in the National League. He makes more sense for the Pirates than the Phillies, but I digress. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you guys Thursday.